Have you got your Bible? Isaiah 49. This has become a key word to us. When God begins to speak a word to us, as I've just said, it requires faith. Because if the word is not met with faith, then it's a word that has nowhere to land. So the word needs a landing, you know, a launching pad and it needs a landing pad. When arrows get fired, they also need to land. So, and any arrow that doesn't, fit its, uh, doesn't hit its target is called a wasted one. So God says, when I send my word out, it never returns voice. So God never wastes an arrow. How many of you believe that? God never wastes. God never wastes his words. When he speaks, he knows what he speaks. That's why God doesn't always speak to you in long sentences. Because you don't need long sentences. Sometimes you just need a word. Stop. Don't. Rise. Go forward. God has this wonderful way of giving you one word, but you know exactly what he means. Yeah? God never wastes anything. He doesn't waste his arrows. And his arrows are his word. And in Isaiah 49.1, he says, Listen to me, you islands. Well, Great Britain, we're an island. So we can listen. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, and he concealed me in his quiver. And he said to me, wow, you are my servant. Put your name in there, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. God is about to do something. God is announcing something, and he's using Israel as the focus of his splendor. So when God speaks this word to us, he knows that he spoke it to Israel. Yes? But he's still speaking it to us. That's what makes the word continuous. That's what makes the word living. That's what makes the word prophetic. How God can have a conversation with somebody else, but still intended it to have it with you. See that? He had a conversation with Israel thousands of years ago, but now, through because the, the word's living and eternal, he knew there'll be situations, circumstances, generations, people who would need that same word. So God can speak in a past tense and continually keep speaking in a present tense. So you can put your name in there. Yes? So last week we said, <coughs> not only has God chosen and mentioned you by name, which is always a beautiful thing. You know when you've heard someone say, hey, they were talking about you upstairs. Was it good? Oh, yeah, it was very good. You're eager to know what they were talking about. True? Oh, it was all good. Yeah, your name was mentioned. Oh, really? Was it, was it bad? Were they negative? I mean, true. No, 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 no. They were, they were complimenting you how you did this. And I, straight away you go, hey, they're talking about me in high places. But when God talks about you, that's a good thing that when God speaks about you. It's a very good thing. And God has chosen you by name. And he's made your mouth like a sharpened sword. Yeah? And he's hid you in the shadow of his hand. <clears throat> Not only has he made you a sharpened sword and made you a polished arrow. And he's concealed you in his quiver. But he's mentioned you by name. He's mentioned you by name. I love it when God talks about me. I love it when God talks to me. Uh, sorry, when God speaks to somebody else. To give me a word. 
I like that. I don't always like what he says sometimes, because prophecies sometimes can be burdensome. And, but I like the idea that God knows me, knows my situation. He's thought about me, and he's relayed a message to another brother or sister to come and encourage me. It's good to know that God's thinking about me. Because my thoughts are fixed towards him. His thoughts are fixed towards me. Isn't that good when God knows what you need and speaks to somebody else about it? When God, when you, God knows you need a need, and God, someone comes up to somebody, uh, sorry, God comes up to somebody and says, "Go and bless that person." That person comes up to you and says, "I just feel the Lord would want me to do this for you or to give you this." You go, "Wow!" It's a humbling experience to know that God has seen you in private and then is, and has then put a message in someone's mouth or a gift in someone's hand to give to you. That's humbling. Out of all the billions of people on the earth. God saw your need. Fantastic. I love that. It's concealed me in his quiver. In other words, no one can get to me. God's put me in his own quiver. With his sword and arrow, he has made you his servant. Now, just get that back again. Pick it up from verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow. He concealed me in his quiver. And you think, that's fantastic, Lord. Then he said this, all that is so now you can become my servant. You are my servant. What is a servant? A servant is someone who's got a sharpened sword in the mouth. Someone who's a polished arrow. Someone who is concealed from the world but revealed before God. Someone that is carried in the quiver of God. You are a resource to God. That is a servant. A servant isn't someone, hear what I'm saying now, isn't someone who does communion. A servant isn't someone who takes up the offering. It's all gone quiet now. They're not servants. They are practical things we do to help us do what we do. Don't ever think, well, I've got a gift and I'm a servant because I, I, I make communion. We are thankful that people take the time to buy the bread, create it so we can have communion. We love that. But that's not a biblical definition of a servant. That's an in-house practical help. That's called the ministry of helps. Go back to Romans. Is it Romans 12? I think it talks about the ministry of helps. That's a ministry of helps. But all, if you're meant to be a servant, you're meant to serve God wherever and whenever God wants you to serve him. You're not a servant because you come to church. All you servants of the Lord are those who do the Lord's bidding. You can be, you can class yourself as a servant and never tell anyone about Christ. So you can't be a sharpened sword. So a true servant is someone who's a sword an arrow, and someone who's, put in, who's carried in the quiver of God. So do we have any servants this morning? Only a few. Well, we'll start with a few. A few's good. A few's better than none. Well, I only come to church to listen to you pray. I only come to church to listen to the worship. I only come to church to listen to the word and to give my offering because it makes me feel good and I feel religious about doing that. Good. That's all about you. That's all how it made you feel, but you did nothing for God. 
You came to church, but the Bible says worship's your obligation. <laughs> Scripture says it's your obligation to worship the Lord. You didn't get any brownie points. It's my obligation to look after my family. I don't always get a thank you from my kids. You know, mum can cook the food and kids never say thank you. But mum still does it. Why? Because it's our obligation to raise the family. Now, when they, get to, when they get to a certain age, guess what? If they don't do it, they're going to be in trouble. But there's a certain time there for many years when you just feed them and doing all those things and you never get a please or a thank you. But you keep on doing it, don't you? Why? Because they're your responsibility. Worship is your responsibility. Giving is your responsibility. Sowing is above giving. Oh, we're too deep here this morning. So, 2016 is a year where God is selecting his arrows. So, let's just say this house, we're in, I won't call it the bargain basement, because none of us are bargain basement. We're highly favoured. But let's just say God's rummaging through the house, and he's looking in for his arrows. And as he's looking for his arrows, he's looking for a certain type of arrow. He's looking for a servant. He's looking for one who's got a sword in the mouth. Yes? And when I say a sword, I don't mean for cutting each other. For doing God's work and speaking God's thoughts. So he's looking for a sword. He's looking for an arrow. He's looking for someone who who he can polish and fashion and carry in his quiver. So as he's searching through the house, there is a usefulness and there is a uselessness, if you use that word. Now, you determine whether you're going to be useless or useful. You're not useless because you're not born again. God doesn't love you because God's given everything he can. God loves you. You're valued. But you're only useless because you can't use you. Yes? Not because you're useless because you're worth nothing. You're not. You're worth everything. But God needs to find a selected arrow that's useful. So as he searches through the house, he's looking for select arrows who he knows he can be, they can be used. Yes? And those arrows, he picks them up. He begins to call them by name. This one's my baby. This one's my love. He calls you by name and he polishes you and he puts you in his, in his quiver And then he begins to carry you, which for years and years, you just feel you're carried in God's quiver. You know that you're born for something. You have a sense of destiny in your life, but you're not quite sure yet. It's still a bit fuzzy. Yes? And as you keep walking in righteousness, you keep hearing the word, slowly but surely you get pockets of clarity. And as you get pockets of clarity and you begin to walk closer in that area and push in that area, God begins to pull out And give you experiences of what it's like to be launched in a direction. Yes? It's not your full vision. It's not the full explanation of your purpose and destiny. But it's enough to keep you moving. It's enough to keep you believing and expecting. Amen? So... With a sharpened sword. 2.16, God's looking for the sharpened sword. He's looking for the polished arrow. He's looking for the one who will be, is willing to be held in the shadow of his hands. So you want to be used. Some people want to be famous. Believe me, fame comes with a high price. You don't need, if you don't need to be famous, don't be famous. 
And God's looking for those ones who be held in his hand and those who be concealed in his quiver. Yeah? So we said last week, how does God thrust us forward? Well, this is interesting because we, we looked at how, if you take the, the bowman, he has his bow and arrow, obviously. Well, let's just take the bow. What does the bow represent? Well, as I pick up this Bible, it's so filled with word. But right now, it's black and white type, isn't it? It's just a word. If I give to this to any guy on the street, he's going to read it. Some of it he'll understand, but a lot of it he won't. And what he understands will only be on the surface. Yes? And it takes a different kind of... Why? Because the veil is over his eyes. Right, for those... Who haven't got the veil. In other words, you're born again. This word has meaning. But how many of you know, you go to the Bible and it still looks like black and white on a a page. This week, Carol and I together are reading Matthew. In our reading together, we're going through Matthew. She says, can we start at chapter 2? So I said, why do you want to start at chapter 2? She said, because chapter 1's boring. She said, it's all genealogy. I said, you're right, darling. It looks boring. I said, but it's in there for a reason. I said, it looks boring because it's just black and white type on a paper. But when God reveals something to us, all of a sudden, that passage has meaning and significance. But because we've not been led to that, we don't understand that. It's just black and white, boring genealogy. Boring, boring. He begat him and he begat that and he begat that. It's like, skip, let's get to the story. But God says, no, 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 no. Because it's there for a reason. And you don't know the reason until I reveal it to you. Okay, so that takes me to the next part. So that's called a passage. So at any one time we can open the Bible and we can just read it and we can be encouraged. But other times we read a passage and it begins to stir us. Doesn't it? So the word is a bow. But as you begin to read... Let's just say, I'm going to use Matthew 1, say for instance, as it seems as if it's monotonous, it's just genealogy like I've just said. And then one day as I'm reading, God wants to draw my attention to a specific thing in that genealogy. Because he wants to start me on a journey. Do you understand that? So out what looks like mundane, boring genealogy, that's the passage, God begins to direct me by his spirit to the message, out the passage. Yes, because you've got to look for the message in all the Bible, not just in the highlighted parts that you've colored in. Yes, because there's a message in this Bible from page to page, because it's the living, it's the beginning and is the end. This word never passes away. What word's that? Every piece of word that's been written will never pass away. And every word that's been revealed will be carried and never forgot. So we need the passage, which is the bow, to lead us to the message. When we get led to the message, we find the arrow of God's word. Okay? So when I find the message... I then, and it excites me and stirs me and challenges me and convicts me. I then place myself through yielding to God's word. I place myself on God's bow and it thrusts me forward towards an action. Does that make sense? As it thrusts me forward towards an action, I now come closer to the will of God. 
to the perfect, the pleasing and acceptable will of God, I come closer to my destiny. Because now that word, the destiny is the journey. Okay, it's the journey, it's not the end. Don't confuse the word destination with destiny. It's the pathway. So as it launches me, I take another, it's almost like snakes and ladders. I take four steps forward, depending how, how severe this word and the impact of this word's having on me. It can really shift me in a big area. It can completely transform my life. You think when you first get saved and you agree with this word, how much you get thrust forward. And then you seem to take a step back. And then you get familiar and then you don't want the price. You don't want the, you know, the, the discipline. And then all of a sudden, God begins to speak to you again. And you take another few steps forward. And every time the word comes to you, you begins to encourage you, direct you, give you hope and give you strength. That's the principle of the bow and arrow. The arrow of God is to launch you closer towards the will of God. And every time you come into agreement with it, God begins to, he says, you know what, I want this boy in my quiver. This boy, this woman will do my bidding for me. And at certain points, God says, you now have to speak for me. Speak for me. Tell others. Be salt and light. Hello. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 says this. There we go. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Right, okay. In order to fulfill what we've just read there, we proclaim him, admonishing him, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I have to fire my arrow. Hello? Right now, I'm standing before you, and this passage has led me to a message. This message is what we call prophetic. And this prophetic and practical and wise message that comes from on high through a servant, my mouth is a a sword, so God can launch the word through my mouth, which if you kept hold of it, you can make the same journey I'm making. So if God is going to present you perfect, somebody has to open their mouth and and let their mouth become an arrow. So that you, the same word that's hitting me can hit you. The same hope, the same faith that's hitting my spirit can hit your spirit. And therefore, we all then together corporately begin making the same journey on the same path towards the same purpose. That's called corporate destiny. But if we all receive the same word, and the same word is, is, is refreshing and, and it's building us up and polishing us, then we become a company, an unstoppable house. But if you're receiving other words and, and you're drinking from different wells, then everyone's going in different direction. The house becomes a confusion. Because, well, this word isn't the same with, as what he's speaking. Then you compare the word with what somebody else is speaking. That will bring division straight away. So... We proclaim him, we admonish him, we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Here's the reason why we do it. To this end, I labor. Struggling with all his energy, 
which so powerfully worked in me. So when I put myself on God's bow, and God, I let this word come so much within me, and it fires me towards a a destination. How many of you know, while I'm in the air, I'm still laboring? It's not a free flight. I like to think Tony Eginson, this mouth on roller skates, when God launched me prophetically and brought me into the ministry, I'm in flight. But flight means labor. Flight means work. Now, you keep thinking you're in his quiver. You should be in flight. You should be an arrow that's already on its journey. Not waiting to be handpicked and pulled out. We're already on our journey. Our arrow, we can see certain arrows, we're heading towards discipleship. We're heading, we're heading towards nations. We're heading, we're heading towards raising a generation. So we can see we've already launched some of our arrows. They're already in the air. So when I see the young children, the children's church in there, I can see the effect of the arrows being launched in the house. So Delma comes along and Jane comes along and the rest of the team, they pick up the arrow and they labor with the arrow that's already launched. And as they labor and and, and give the hearts to that arrow and follow the arrow, it's the same arrow, then they begin to pick up the same intensity and the arrow's on, on a collision course. And as they pick up that arrow and labor with that arrow, they believe, just like me, that it will do what it's meant to do it will hit the target, it has range, it has reach, and it has power and purpose. So it's knowing what arrows have already been launched, and then we labor with them, and there are other arrows that need to be launched. Can you see that, church? So the issue you've got to ask yourself is this. Are you an arrow that has been launched? And if you're not an arrow that's been launched then it's time in 2.16 that God launches you. Okay? And how do I get launched? By looking what arrows have already been launched in the house. Partnering with those arrows, laboring with those arrows, because those arrows are on course. Now, if I send an arrow from here, depending on the size of the uh, bow, the strength of the bow, depending on me, the strength of my pull... My arrow's only ever going to go so far, and then it's going to hit maximum, and it's going to peak, and then it's going to start coming down. True? God's arrows don't work like that. From the moment it leaves its mouth, the same intensity, it can be for generations and generations, it's still on course. It never wanders, never wanes, never loses its focus, never loses it, it still stays there. Now what happens is, it keeps going and going and going. It's got eternal fuel. What happens is, a generation may lose it. May lose sight of it. So a generation, let's just take Smith Wigglesworth word. That said in the last days, there will be a move of the spirit and the word. The two will come together. So two arrows will come together. Right. Now let's just say, in the early 70s, we have all the charismatic movement. So we have all spirit. And not enough word. And let's just say in the 90s, these are just uh, random years. We have all word, but not enough spirit. Right? So that word has not yet come to pass. But how many of you know the arrow is still moving? Then all of a sudden, Phil is praying one day. 
And he says, Lord, use me, use me, use me. And he gets a sense of this word in the spirit that it's waiting for someone to labor. To bring back the spirit and the word. Phil says, here I am, Lord, send me. We know that word, don't we? Here I am, Lord, send me. He says, right, there's an arrow already in the air. What I'm looking for is a generation to go and partner what's already been said. It's not a new word. It's a, it's a continuous, it's an old word, but it's, but it's fresh to him. It's as fresh to him as it was when Swift Miggles was prophesied it. So then Phil says, I'll partner with you. And he reaches out in the spirit and he says, that's it. Now it's in my hand. I feel the baton's in my hand now. So he begins to run with it. And he partners with it. And he labors with it. And then what happens is, he sees Sam and Jacob from a distance. He goes, ha, this thing isn't just about me. It's a generational arrow. So what he does, he gathers Delmer and Jane around. And he says, look, this arrow is generational. And they say, yes, we see also. So now he's got a team. They begin to labor. They begin, yes, we'll carry it with you. It's like the Olympic torch. They carry the torch. They carry the arrow. And then he says, like, let's raise up another generation. So they feel gifted and qualified of God to go and work with young people. So then they go and put the arrow in the young people. Paul says, I feel that same arrow as well. So now Paul labors. He picks it on there. Boom. Let's just say somebody else in the church says, you know what? I feel we can reach out into the community to battered wives, abused wives. Right. There's the arrow. I can pick it up. I'm going to carry that word and I'm going to work and labor with that same word to the abused women. Someone says, yes, but I can run finance to help families. Right, pick up the arrow. So the arrow's already been out of one arrow launched. A whole company of people come together to carry it. And it goes to the place called fulfillment. One arrow. One arrow. It took one person to fire the arrow, but it takes a whole company of people to carry it. I hope I'm helping you this morning. Why? Because we proclaim him. That's the sword. We admonish him. That's the work. We're teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's the work. That's the labor. Teaching everyone. That's what I'm doing this morning. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's the, that's the, the glory. That's the satisfaction. I'm presenting everyone. My joy will be to present you from my labor to present you before Christ. But your responsibility is to make sure you present yourself before him every day. But the finished work, that the, the work that the Lord gave me to do with this house, I have to turn around and say, Lord, here's the people, here's the work that you gave me. Here they are. And, and, and sometimes God can turn around and say, well, you didn't do a lot with them, did you? And other times, that's when I hear that word, well done, good and faithful, Servant, what was you good for? Because I did what you asked me to do. What am I faithful for? Because I took the word and labored with all that you gave me. That's all it is. Not better than anyone. I'm just God's looking for fulfillment. So are you still an arrow? Are you an arrow that's waiting to be fired? Well, God's given you permission today. Take the word, labor with what's already in the air. We are stripping the fat lady down. A fat lady is not a person. It's a church. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a mentality. We talked about this in the School of the Prophets, what it represents. So this end I labor, 
struggling with all his energy. So that, so which, sorry, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. So 2 Timothy says this. We read this last week. Scripture, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, all scripture is arrows. When it's God breathed, it's launched. Right? And as it's launched, it's useful for teaching. So, there's, so we see this. It's, it's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting. For training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's looking to equip you. God wants to equip you. For the good work. It's not enough just for the arrow to be launched. He wants to equip you to partner with the arrow. Amen. In the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I give you this charge. I give you this charge, Dream Center. Preach the word. Let the mouth, let your mouth become a sword. I, I give you this charge. This is, this is the permission. This is the launching pad. I give you permission to go and launch the sword, to go and launch the arrow. I'm giving you the permission. I'm, giving, I'm going to equip you en route. And then he says, well, when, when do you want me to do it, Lord? In and out of season. What is in and out of season? When people are not prepared to receive you and when people are prepared to receive you. How long do I know the difference? Just preach the word, you'll find out. Right now, there's an in-season and an out-season in this room right now at this very moment. Some of you are thinking, he'll be off, he'll be over in a minute, and we'll be going to have some coffee, and we'll be okay. Others are thinking, keep on speaking, because this is helping me. There's an in-season and an out-season. But guess what? I've got to remain consistent. And then some people come up to you, 20 years they've been in the church. Thank you for your message this morning, it really helped me. What about the other 19 years? All of a sudden now, in their eyes, you have just justified why you should be here. No, no, no. I justify why I should be here because I answered the call. Just because just his word finally reached your heart does not validate me or dismiss me in any way, shape or form. Because for those 20 years, others have been receiving. So there's in season and out season. Most preachers think that everyone's in season. They're not. But to the servant, and to you and me who is the servant, you just be in season. Yes? How many of you know, you get up tomorrow morning, you feel your best strength has left you? Oh, let's, those who go to the gym. Some days I feel like my legs have left me and someone else has got them. Other times I go into the gym, I feel like all this energy... And it exaggerates and it tells me that I am fit and super fit. Momentum is a liar. It's a great exaggerated momentum. And other days I go and do the same exercises. And after five minutes I think, let's go straight to coffee. It's true, isn't it? It's true. I'm talking about Phil now, not me. Some days I can't lift a gnat. Other days I've got strength to lift. And you just think, how my body's so all over the place. And it's the same in the spirit, but nothing's changed. It's only how you feel about what's happening. Yes? And as you break through, you find your strength comes back. So be prepared in and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and instruction. So we looked at the type of arrows 
there are teaching arrows. When God launches his arrows out of your mouth and God launches his arrows out of my mouth to hit each other, sometimes he just sends his arrow to teach you. Other times, he sends an arrow to rebuke you. Yes? Now, you see, the trouble with the modern-day church, all it wants is encouragement. It can't always have encouragement. Because in order to strip the fat lady down, you have to address certain behaviors. So the word has to come to rebuke certain behaviors and then encourage them how to act properly. Amen? But we need... We need these kind of arrows in the church teaching. We need rebuking arrows. Now, there's a way to do rebuking. There's always a way to do rebuking. And it's not scalding someone so someone feels absolutely rubbish. I might need to sit down with Phil and say, you know what, how how are you getting on with this? Right? You actually think you're doing right? Well, actually, I don't think you're doing right, Phil. I don't think it's this, and this is the reason why. I suggest you do this. Your dipstick. And he might go, well, I disagree. Well, okay, I've just given you, it's your opinion now. Other times, as an elder, I may have to go to someone and say, look, this behavior is not right. This is not right. Why? Because this is what's happening. This is the ramifications. This is what's happening. Okay, stop it. I encourage you to stop it. Well, you did. Then there are arrows that bring correction, and out of that rebuking, correction can come. And out of that arrow can come training. Yeah? If I'm wrong, well, show me. Teach me. Teach me how to do it then. That's good. That's a different attitude now. So out of a correction or a rebuke, and he goes, well, okay, teach me. Show me. I say, great. So now there's been some production about having that conversation. It's now going to produce some fruit. The Bible says it's a wise man who listens, but a fool rejects an open rebuke. So Phil doesn't want to be a fool. But neither is it going to to take every word that comes out of someone's mouth. True? Just because I say it doesn't mean to say everything I say is right. He's also got a brain and a spirit. There are seasonal and out-of-season arrows. We've just said that. There are patient and careful arrows. I love the way Lord's arrows land on me. Sometimes it almost seems like he lets it circle a bit. He says he's not ready yet. He lets it circle. He's patient and he's careful. And then all of a sudden, these arrows get the instruction. Now, we're now making a descent. Wheels down, ready to land. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking. Wherever I'm walking one day, it could be an Asda one day. Pushing my trolley. And all of a sudden, the arrow goes right on the back of the head. And a thought explodes inside me. And out of that thought, a certain action then needs to be taken. God's arrows are on route. You've just got to be able to receive them. Are you a good target? Yeah? Now, we've become a sharpened sword and a polished arrow held in the shadow of God's hand, concealed in his quiver of his hand. And you're going to allow the words through the passage to become the message. Then you, at some point, must become his witness. You must, at some point, become his witness. So... Because part of the arrow is that you're a sword. And a sword always has a target. And an arrow always has a target. And God wants to use you and become a witness in the everyday of your circumstances and in the everyday of your environment. So Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's just open up that for a minute. 
And here's some practical ways of how you can become a witness. Of how your arrow can start penetrating your environment and your circumstances. How God can start launching you 2016. How you can partner with what God's doing. Because you need to get out of his quiver. Hello? It sounds romantic. It sounds spiritual to be in his quiver. But there's always an arrow in God's hand. There's also an arrow in his hand. Ready to be fired. So. And when he saw the crowds. Reading from verse 1. And when he saw the crowds. He went up onto the mountainside. And he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. Now here's an arrow. He's now firing a teaching arrow. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, verse 3. Let's pick up verse 3. Blessed. Now, let's just remember, these are blessings. These are blessings. So for the person who can operate in these dimensions, you're blessed. Okay? You're blessed. So you're not only a polished arrow, you now become a blessed arrow. Okay? It's a blessed arrow. So think of this. This is very, very powerful. The poor in spirit. Now, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the word poor is not a good translation. What is someone who's poor in spirit? I don't know what that means. When I looked in the commentaries, what it means is, blessed are the humble. Humble in spirit. That's what the translation is saying. But many translations use the word poor. But poor is not necessarily a good English translation. So, another alternative would be to say, Humble. Blessed are those who are humble in spirit. Amen? So, humble, let's put humble and humility together. So, God is looking for a humble arrow. Now, think of this now. You're now being launched into the world. What is the world looking for? The world's full of pride. Everyone can do something better than everybody else, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's quick to judge. What we don't have is a lot of humility. So what was Jesus? He was humble. Jesus went in amongst foxes, against lions, bears, persecutors, liars, cheaters, soothsayers. But he went in as this humble king. Had the nature of a, of a lion and a lamb. And he knew when to roar and he knew when to appeal to the crowds. My friend, you will, not be, you will never hit your target by you boasting of what you know about God. People are not interested how much you know. People in church are not even interested how much we know. 
They're interested on how humble can they receive from you. Have you have a spirit that, that draws them to you? So I suggest this year, 2016, God is looking for an arrow that is humble in the midst of your peers. God's looking for a humble arrow in the midst of your friends and your environment at work. So when everyone's up and having this, you know, it's an outrage. You have this spirit about you that is quiet, that is gentle, that doesn't presume oneself to be first. So others are getting, look like they're getting ahead. But do you, can you ask the Lord to give you humility? You may be a humble person. Until someone stands on your toe. And then you become proud, arrogant, opinionated. Because we've all got that to some degree. We've all got that. It's my rights. There are rights. But in Christ, in Christ, your rights, what you perceive are your rights are not always your rights. You also have a right to remain silent and behave and stop being a dipstick. That is another right of yours. It's just a choice. Which one will I do? Will I operate and shout and speak and tell them that's my right? Or will I say, Father, defend me. Defend me, Lord. Show me how to be humble in front of my peers. Show me how to carry that spirit of humility in the workplace. So let me ask you a question. Are you proud? Are you, would you class yourself as a proud person? Well, no one's going to say yes to that. No one's going to say yes to that. So I'm glad you all fell into the trap. I'm not proud. It's like asking someone, you're all going to die. Tell me the reason why you shouldn't die. Well, he's worse than me. That's the trap everyone falls into, isn't it? Everyone thinks they're better than someone else. Well, he's worse than me. Why? Because he did this and he did that and he did this and did that. And I had a wonderful conversation the other day when I was getting these. Have you noticed the lights are a lot brighter in here? And when I, was, when I was talking to the guy at the counter, it's called John, and I was just, he said, what's it for? So I said, it's for a church. A church, yeah. I said, I'm a pastor. Pastor! And then he, he kind of makes it a big thing in the shop. So I'm far, I thought, great, I've got the audience here. This is the audience I want. Well done, fella. You can follow me around all the time. So we're having a good conversation. He tells me he's a good Christian because he's been confirmed. I said, what was you confirmed as? What did they confirm about you? I know what he means, so we're just playing and, and, and things like that. But here's, you know, here's the issue, is being a witness, and then the next day I goes around, and the order gets messed up. So I've now got to show how I can conduct myself when an order gets messed up. I goes back the next day, the order's still messed up. And the day after the order's still messed up. So we've got a couple of days now where I'm getting a bit brassed off. But when I go into the shop... I want to keep the same testimony, the same witness. He's got to see me in action, not just hear my words. So by the time we conduct our business, he's telling everybody in the show, he's a pastor, he's a pastor, he's a pastor. Look at this guy, he's a pastor. This is for a church. And then the company wants to hit us with a carrier charge. You can't do that, this is a church. He's a pastor. Now he's defending my cause. He's defending my cause. But all the time he's watching my behavior. Now, please, I'm not suggesting I'm an angel. Talk to Carol. I'm not an angel. But it's like when we were in Malaysia, people are watching. We had a mess up in our hotel, and it was a big mess up. 
But it was, and I said to the guys, we haven't come this far to lose at this point. We will get what we need and there's a way of doing it and we'll find a way. And now they wrote a beautiful letter to Phil and they said, I would not have treated you the way you treated us. Why? Because we showed humility. We showed understanding. We showed patience. This was an arrow that made an impact. If this, Western, if, this, if this is Westernization, and this is a Christian, a Western Christian, the way he's just dealt with his staff, how many of you know that's just become a good arrow in their lives? I like those Christians from Manchester. They treat us really well. Even when we screw up and mess up big time, they treat us well. So what do they do? Now they want to bless us next time we go back. There's a way. There's a way, my friend. God wants to launch us, but he needs humble arrows. Can you see this? So, are you proud? Well, how do you know you're proud? Are you proud of you proud? I don't mean patriotic proud. I'm proud of my country. I think there's good in that. I think there's a lot of good in that. Because it's, my country is part of my background, my identity. It's not my full identity. You know, I'm not English, I'm kingdom. I realized I was born in England, Manchester, but that's, you know, that's another thing. I'm part of Zion now. That was my birthplace. Jesus didn't turn around and say, you know, uh, Nazareth, Nazareth's the place. It's the only place on earth. No, why? Because that's just the place of his beginning. Or Bethlehem, wherever. So here's the issue. I'm not talking about patriotic. For if you're not a proud person, then what evidence... Do you have a humility? If you're not proud, you've just said, you know, I'm not proud. No, 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 not me. Honey, am I proud? <laughs> if I'm not proud, or if you're not proud, then what evidence do you have of your humility? Lord, reveal in me whether there is pride or there is humility. And God says, you know what? There's a situation I've just got coming down your, your alley What's going to reveal your heart before me. And it's going to come at a moment you're not expecting it. And you're going to feel indignified. You're going to feel righteous about it. You're going to start casting demons out. Well, start with yourself. Get behind me, Satan. I don't like that word. God will deal with you every day. It's not what someone does to you. It's how you respond. And you never want your pastor walking into the shop where you're kicking off. <laughs> Neither do I want you walking in when I'm kicking off. Unless I'm dealing with the people respectfully. Then we can all learn together. It's important I am what I'm saying just as you are what you're saying. If you're not proud, then show us the evidence of humility. So blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. So in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God. That's the key there. Be imitators of God. How would God go about it? Jesus Christ didn't open his mouth when they said all kind of things about him. He was humble. Psalm 25.9 says this, He who guides the humble in what is right 
and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides. Humble, God guides us and teaches us how to respond. This is a beatitude that Jesus taught his disciples. These are the kind of arrows that God's looking for in our society. Humble arrows. Ones who can be guided by God. Ones who can be taught by God. This is how we rebuild the broken walls. Humility. That's the nature of a servant is he's humble. Not that he's proud about what he can do or what he knows. He's humble. And I'm telling you, God is going to work on our humility. And if he gives us a little bit of success, how proud do we become about our success? Let's just say we, work, we release a worship CD. And all of a sudden it gets a little bit of notoriety. God will look at the way we boast about ourselves, And God says, you're not ready. You're not ready to go. You're not ready to be, to be sent yet. You're not ready because your pride kills you. The moment you get a little bit of success, you want to go and tell the world. We stopped advertising our School of the Prophets. We only, we courteously inform Isaac Network. Because the brothers and sisters in Isaac sometimes want to know. Now, we've got a good relationship with the guys in Birmingham. With the ones in London, we're still working with. Still working with. There's some relationship there, but it can be a lot better. And we're working on that to see if it can get better. The guys in Birmingham, you saw that they came and they enjoyed and they partook. But we're not bragging about it. We're not advertising. We're not putting posters in magazines saying, come to the School of the Prophets. We've got the woohoo. No, shut up. Just keep on doing it. Amen? Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly, beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here's one for you all. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave. You need humility to consider other people better. This is Something that this church is going to witness and experience this year. Humility. Humility, church. Humility. We serve one another. We're out of humility. We consider one another. It's gone quiet. I said we must consider. Why? Your Bible tells you. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, how do we mourn outside of the church? We must, in your workplace, there are people who are going through grief. You must look for the opportunity to partner with people who are going through some kind of grief. Send them an arrow of hope. Send them an an arrow of kindness. Send them an arrow of, of comfort and encouragement. Walk them through it if you can. Send them a card. Send them flowers. Send a deposit. Carry them in your heart. This year, I said last year, Pastor Heiner and Chris lost their son. It's a tragic event. His heart just failed. 
And he wasn't, I think, I'm not sure he was a Christian or he was backslidden, I'm not sure. But he was, I think he was my age. And all of a sudden, just died. I felt burdened for him. I really felt burdened for him. I thought, this is tragic. This is tragic. And I didn't want the enemy to undo all that God was doing. Because when you're, when you're full of faith, and all of a sudden you lose someone like your son or your daughter, you think, God, why did you let this happen? And you blame God because you have no answers and it's the only thing you can say. And God's big enough to take that hit. And hopefully, in, in, you know, the Bible says that all things work. And I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I'd like to be able to come to you and say, I fully understand that all things work. I understand it to some degree, but I don't understand it when I feel bad. And I feel, well, like when my mum died or my dad died. Why, Lord? Why? I didn't understand, Lord, your comfort, the brokenhearted. You're close to the brokenhearted. Where was you, Lord? I didn't feel you. But God says, and then all of a sudden, I look back six months later, and I realized that God had carried me. I didn't feel him at the graveside, but I certainly knew I'd been carried later on. And God made a little, give me a little bit of understanding to show me, son, though you don't understand, son, all things do work. There are things that God's not going to talk to me about because I can't handle it. But there are things that God will reveal to me in part. And as I move on and move on and move on, I get more understanding and I feel less anxious about what I understand. But God was always close to the brokenhearted. I just didn't feel it. But I have to take his word. It's there. And I know it's hard when you lose someone. And the enemy says, you know, this is what you get for serving God. And the arrows of the enemy begin to penetrate you and try and undo what God's done. This is why we need to be an arrow of hope for other people. Now, we can't always get into everyone. Some people don't want some encouragement. They just want to grieve in private. I know that, but we've got to find ways. Find ways to become the, the arrow that can partner with someone. Blessed are those who mourn. Try and mourn with someone. Hello? In your company, your, your street, there's people who are going through grief. It's an opportunity to get alongside someone. Pray for someone. Can I pray for you? Are you bold enough to ask them? Can you pray for them? Can I send you a gift? Just send them. Just, we're thinking of you. Me and my husband are thinking of you. It might completely knock them. They might be so numb at this point in time with grief that they don't even acknowledge your, your grief. It's not the point where they acknowledge it. The point is that you are beginning to move towards them. You feel it. This is Jesus in the marketplace. This is Jesus in the workplace. It doesn't matter what kind of job you do. When people lose someone, it's real. This is where we need to be arrows. Blessed are those who do this. God, give me the grace for this. Show me how to get next, how to, get next to this guy. Show me how to get next to this, this woman. Wow. Wow. Do you know how to mourn? Do you know how to comfort? Are you willing to be taught? Do you know how to pray for someone? Do you know how to serve someone practically who's going through grief? It's not easy. And for a period of time, they shut you out. It's too painful. But there'll be a period of time when God will give, give the opening. Just be ready. It's not always easy. Sometimes you have to stand and watch and pray for them. And this couple who's lost their son, I was praying for them. And Carol prayed for them. We prayed for them as a church. 
one Sunday morning. But I wrote a letter only this week and I said to him, look, it's not over. I'm still standing with you. We've prayed for you as a house. We want you to know that we, we know this is grief and we're still standing with you. We don't know how to help, but we're letting you know we are alongside you. And I got a wonderful reply back. Because they need to know, they were touched and humbled that brothers and sisters in the Isaac Network are still continuing to pray. It's important that we find a way. This is the Beatitudes. This is blessed are they who can do this. Can you imagine how blessed our society will be if we have these kind of arrows penetrating? And then in verse uh, 5, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. These are those who can, now the word meek is various different translations. Moses, it was said he was the most meekest man in all the world. One th- quality of Moses, that he wholeheartedly followed the commands of God. So let's just put meek in that context just for a second. There are other meanings. There are other meanings and other significances to that word. But let's just plant, there, plant that word down there. Can you follow wholeheartedly the plans and will of God? Are you meek enough to follow and trust God in that area for your life? Are you meek enough to trust the words that are coming from the front end of your leadership? Hello? Are you meek enough to think, I trust them. I trust them. Don't try and prove every word that comes out of my mouth, right or wrong. There needs to be an element of faith and trust. We've never hurt you, never want to hurt you. That's not our hearts. But we labor so that faith will rise amongst you. And out of that comes an element of trust. Yeah? Because out of trust, we can entrust. Amen? So there has to be meekness. Can you follow? Are you the one that opposes every idea and opinion in work? Does your workforce, your street, are you known for an antagonist? Are you known for a a lobbyist because you moan and whinge and complain about everything? Or is there there a grace about you who knows how you know how to argue? And that you don't feel everybody, you don't leave everyone feeling bad because you win. Are you meek enough to follow the ideas of your peers and of your bosses in work? Or are you the one that says, stop, stop, stop. I don't like this. I'm not having having this. And then you start polluting your whole environment by your thoughts and opinions. Are you meek enough to say, God, I might work for Pharaoh, but I serve God. I work for Pharaoh, fine, but he's not my master. Lord, I'm meek enough. If he says we're going this way, we're going this way. That's okay. God, he's not my employer. I know that you don't employ me. If I'm called, then God employed me. You might get rid of me. That's fine. You might turn and say, we don't want you. But guess what? That's okay. God will employ me somewhere else. I have to look. The servant of God, you're a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. But in this context of me being a pastor, you only, I'm your consultant. You hire me. You get the benefit. God pays the wage. And any time God calls you to do something, your, your, your factory does not pay your wage. God does. And the moment your factory, God determines that you're not in that factory, you're out. And God will find you somewhere else to supply. God's got no problem with supplying. So don't think Pharaoh, you have to work and do everything that Pharaoh says. Pharaoh's your boss. Is a type of Pharaoh that used to work, be in the Bible. Your boss is not king. Your company is not your supplier. Abraham said, I'll not take anything 
But heaven and earth is my, is my supplier. Amen? That's, that's a kingdom arrow. Amen? So, five. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 11 says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Do you want to, en- do you want to enjoy? Do you want to inherit? And do you want to enter peace? There's a way. There's a way. Listen, if you are as stressed as you, everyone in your workplace, then how different are you? The answer is none. The answer is none. If you can be in your street, your family, your neighborhood, your, your work environment, and everyone's stressed around you, and you're not, someone just might say, why are you so calm? Why do you sound the same? Why are, you, why are you different? There has to be a difference in you. I can't keep living. When I worked in my uh, printing company, and they kept, we kept hearing news that the, the potential is going to close down or let so many people redundant. We all have mortgages. We all have the same bills. And I remember fear gripping me time and time and time again until one day God says, Tony, you are not living. You're just surviving. And it arrested me so strong. And from that point of view, uh, from that word, the arrow that came into my mouth, I began to push back and say, I, w- I refuse to live in a contained, limited, frightened, anxious mentality. And I began to push and God began to show me, pray for the company. When was the last time you prayed for your work colleagues? When was the last time you took them before the Lord and said, Lord, give me a breakthrough in this area? Jenny, she's going through something. Jimmy's going through something. Lord, give me the word for him. Give me the word for him to bring peace, to bring an end to his strife, bring an end to his stress. Lord, show me how to make an impact in these people's lives. That's the Beatitudes. Zephaniah says this in 3 verse 12, but I will leave within you the meek and humble. He's talking about a remnant. Now, I would like to suggest to you that God is speaking to you and to us in this verse and th- put this in the context of your workplace, the marketplace, please. Put this in the context of your neighborhood. But I will leave within you the meek, the humble, who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down. And no one will make them afraid. That sounds like a company of people who are having some effect. Now, God's seen a remnant. He's called this remnant from all around the nations. And he's brought them back after the exile. And he said, this group of people are going to carry certain hallmarks. I'm going to put meekness in them. I'm going to put humility in them. I'm going to put a different quality in this group of people that's going to cause them to shine in the midst of darkness. Can we believe that for this house? Now, I don't think you have a problem believing it. So let me ask you another question. Can we become that remnant? Are you willing to become that remnant who, who carries meekness, who carries humility, who carries no deceit, no lies, no gossip. Can we become that group of people? Because that's what it's going to take to become an arrow. 
That's what, it's going to be, that's what God needs to do that in our lives so that we can become his polished arrows. That, that group of people stood out like a sore thumb. Hello? But if we join with everybody else in our factory or our workplace, office, environment, and we're pulling down the same people just like they are, how are we any different? I would caution you to make that your prayer this week. Zephaniah 3.12. Verse 6. Blessed are the hunger, for they thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm coming, and I'll finish off on 7. No, no, we'll go to 8 in a minute. I'll skip the rest. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Exodus 33.13 says this. If you please with me, Lord... Teach me your ways, so I may know and continue to find favor with you. I think before we go today, we need to rise as a house and say, Lord, if you're pleased with us, if you're pleased with us, let's check ourselves. Let's check ourselves. If you are pleased with us, then Lord teaches your ways. And I believe the Lord's saying, part of my ways of rebuilding the broken walls in our city it's through the Beatitudes. The meek, the humble, those who will mourn, those who will bless, those who will serve, those who won't gossip, those who have no deceit in their mouth. This is the company of people that God's looking for. This is where Christ turns up in your workplace. When you carry these qualities, this is where Christ turns up and shines the most. This my friend, is where you have more impact than anywhere else on the earth. This is, this is you being salt and light. This is everything that Christ asks us to do. We talk about preaching the gospel. And it, it was it who said, if at all, don't use words, but if you have to use words, use words. Who was he, David? Francis Assisi. If use words, but guess what? Many of us don't get the opportunity to use words, but we can carry traits that speak for us. Actions speak louder than? These are the actions that Jesus taught his disciples to be. And blessed are those who practice them. When you walk in a shop, I've got my rights. Shut up, you haven't. You're a Christian. Well, I still have rights. Yes, but it doesn't mean to say you have to go and get them. You can choose to adopt a different attitude. Someone pushed in. So what? Do you know when you really, when people push in, don't it whine a stuffing out of you? There's something you find about Britain, it's changing. Because I was always taught to queue up, show manners, but as different cultures come in, it's just everyone just run to the counter. And you're sat there going, whoa, 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 we've got rules here. And they look back and go, yeah, yours ain't working for you, are they? So all of a sudden, whoa, 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 Jimmy. Do you want to go outside and take hours before you? And all of a sudden, you're disgracing yourself. All because someone got in front of you. And I, I found God saying, ha, 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 ha. It's only when you're wound up, I really get to see, and you get an opportunity to practice humility. I need an opportunity to practice humility. I need, I need an opportunity to consider someone better than me. 
Considering someone better than you does not mean you're worthless. Hello? That's so good, I'm going to say it again. Considering someone better than yourself doesn't mean not, does not mean you're worthless. It just means in the great order of things, so what? I'll wait here another 10 seconds. You're in the car. He pushed in. Ah! <laughs> no, he laughed. But guess what? And you've got a sticker on the back of your car. Jesus loves you. It's an embarrassment. Either take the sticker off. Jesus is looking for representatives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Have we gone off? Sounds like I've gone off. There we go. Blessed are the peacemakers. When was the last time you tried to bring peace? When was the last time you asked the Lord, Lord, How can I bring peace in my society? Where is the avenue for me to start bringing peace? Is the cultural divide? Is the racial divide? Is is the politics in work? Is there politics in the family? Is there any way, Lord, I can be a peacemaker? Find, search out the spirit and say, Lord, show me ways I can be a peacemaker. Take up causes that, that affect God's heart. Hello? Take up causes that affect God's heart and from those things that affect God's heart become his instrument. Be the peacemaker. Can I write articles that bring peace to people? Can I go and talk to people to bring peace to them? Is the ways I can become a peacemaker in my city. Find ways, church. Find ways to become a peacemaker. Find ways to, be, to demonstrate humility, meekness, Find ways to show people that you pursue righteousness. Find ways. I encourage you, find ways. Get out there. You're already out there, so rise up. You can't be argumentative. You can't be the problem. You've got to be the solution. Find ways to be a peacemaker. What, area, what immediate issues right now are you surrounded with where you feel I can actually be a peacemaker? I must cha- I'm going to change my, my, my attack here. I'm not going to become agitated or I'm going to push my rights. I'm actually going to take the side of a peacemaker. I'm going to flip this thing. I'm going to create havoc in the enemy's camp. I'm going to take the, the posture of humility, meekness, purity, righteous, and I'm going to become the peacemaker. Oh, I'm going to take a few arrows. I'm going to take a few cracks. But this is what God's asking me. I'd be blessed if I do that. Because the last part is blessed are those who are persecuted and when people say all things about you for my name's sake. Remember, they persecuted the prophets first. Stand for something or stand for nothing. Church, this year, we've got to find ways to be peacemakers. We've got to find ways to be humble, to be meek. This is our charge on the house. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. This is what an arrow of destiny means. We're selected for this. We were chosen for this work. We were chosen for this walk. We were chosen for this labor. Amen? So this week, seriously, 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 pray through Zephaniah. Lord, I want to be that remnant. No lies, no deceit, no slander. 
Uh, Lord, show me humility. Show me how to walk in humility. Show me how to be meek over my, over my peers, around my peers. Father, help us. We want these qualities in this house so desperately. Show us how to serve our generation. Show us how to serve our generation. So let's just raise our hands if we will. Let's just come before the Lord and let's just bring that Zephaniah word to our hearts. But I will leave with you the meek and the humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Manchester, we'll call ourselves Manchester, will do no wrong. That's an attitude that we will do no wrong. God's saying, this is the group of people I'm, I'm looking for on the earth. They'll do no wrong. The qualities are humble, humility, meekness, they trust in the name of the Lord. This remnant of Manchester will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. You don't have to fear attack. You don't have to fear the enemy. If you, because why? Because blessed are those who do this. You're blessed if you do. If you want to be blessing, if you want to be blessed, let's just get away from finance for a minute. Let's think about doing something for the kingdom. Let's be blessed. And then the, the fruit of that is we will eat and lie down and no one will make us afraid. So, Father, teach me your ways that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Father, we want to be not only just receivers of this word, we want to be doers of this word. Teach us how to be humble. Even this week, Lord, put us through the mill. Give us circumstances when we're not expecting it. Reveal our own pride. Reveal our own lack of humility. Reveal to us, oh God, our lack of meekness. Reveal to us, oh God, our own opinions, our own thoughts. Oh God, reveal it to us, not to crush us, but to show us, oh God, that we need your help. Show us how to serve, how to be kind, how to be sincere. Show, show us how to mourn. Show us how, give us ways how we can be peacemakers. Even now, Lord, find ways, show us ways, lead your people into ways to becoming peacemakers. Show us, Lord, how to help people who are grieving, mourning, for all kinds of things. Show us how to comfort, how to bless, how to stand with, stand along, raise up, move forward. Show us, oh Lord, teach your Church, your people, oh God, the ways of God. Come on, just go before God and just say, Lord, I need your help in this area. Teach me, oh God. Now, if you're, the very fact that you're saying teach me means you're wanting to be led in a certain way. So don't complain when God takes you at your word. God is going to open up areas where God's going to reveal to you these things. The lack of it and the amount you have. Celebrate what you have and pray for what you don't have. God's hearing us right now. Come on, everyone, pray. Ask the Lord. Show me, oh God, how to be a witness in the marketplace. Show me, oh God, how to be your witness, your voice. Oh, mighty God.
O Lord my God. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who keep the demands of his covenant. The Bible says that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. They're only burdensome when you fight against them. Oh God, raise up a remnant. Raise up a remnant amongst this house. Come on. Come on, church. Let's just go a little bit longer. Let's just pray. Oh Lord, move your people, oh Lord. Only you can move them, oh God. Only you sovereignly can move the hearts of your people. Lord, I, I pray on behalf of the church, oh God, your people, oh God. Move your people, oh God, in this dimension. Mm. Oh God Almighty, move us by your hand. By your hand. You know, church, it's one thing to hear the word. It's another thing to be a partner of it. I just sense in my spirit that Lord's saying, how long, church, can I, do I have to keep on speaking? How long will you keep on listening to the words of heaven, the words of my servant? You incline your ear only for a day, but then the word is easily forgotten, dismissed, only to return back the following week to do the same thing. The same pattern, the same behavior. How long, church, will you willing to keep walking in these ways? Your father has a plan. Here's a good way for you. There's a path that leads to blessing, peace, prosperity. But you must take hold of what is being spoken by the Spirit of God. There must come a day when you partner with what I say. And believe and trust me. And act on the words that are being spoken. Not just receive the words. I'm looking for those who will act. Those who will take me. Those who will take my word into their environment and trust me. Those who who will look for me on a Monday morning. Those who will look for me Monday afternoon. Those who will look for me in the midst of all situations. I'm looking for a group of people who will look for me. 
seek me out. Those who will carry the burden of the workplace. Those who will carry the burden of the marketplace. Those who will carry the burden of the neighborhood. I'm looking for representatives. I'm not looking for people to attend church. I'm looking for representatives. I'm looking for ambassadors. The Spirit of God searches throughout. Looking for those company of people. Will you become that company of people who will take my word, stand and operate based on this word only rather on the opinions and the fears of man? I am gentle, I am humble. Take of me, take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke and learn from me. I long to give you the keys of the kingdom. I long to see you put keys in the door, doors that have been closed, ancient doors that have been, that have been locked and prevented generations from stepping through. You're a generation that I long to give access to, to the things that generations have been locked out. Generation forefathers long to see. You are the generation I can work with. Incline your ear unto me. Take on these words and become a portal of obedience. I have so many great plans for this house. Generations are rising. I'm doing an unseen work. And suddenly it will just burst forth. And what suddenly burst forth will be misunderstood as just something that sprung up overnight. No, 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 no. It's been labored. Labored and labored over the years, months, years, decades. There's always going to be a suddenly at some point. But the suddenly is the result of years of preparation, forming, fashioning. Hear the word to the house today. Partner with me, says the Lord. See, I'm about to do amazing things. Partner with me. Oh, Father, give us the grace to hear, oh God. Act and obey on your word. Almighty God, mighty God. Come on, dialogue with the Lord. Dialogue with your Father. Don't be passive. Oh my God.